significant that this is our 40th anniversary as a church, and I kept being drawn back to this passage because since I can remember, this passage has been a sort of theme verse for our church over the years, and that's Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. And if you've ever received a correspondence from my dad over the years as he's pastored here, he always finishes his signature line in the correspondence with press on. That's taken from this passage right here. Let's read together Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind. You could just say it with me and reaching forth. And reaching forth unto those things which are before. Now let's read verse 14 together out loud. Begin. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you'd help us this morning and I need your help to preach the word today. We, as a church, need your help to listen carefully. Lord, we pray most of all that you would receive the honor and that you would receive the glory through the preaching and proclamation of your word. God, you know the hearts and the condition of every person that's gathered this morning. You know what we need. You know where we're at. You know what struggles and what joys. Lord, you know every detail of our lives. And so, we believe by faith that through the word spoken, your Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, you will minister to our hearts. And so that's why we've come. We've come expecting you to speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, I'd like to ask you the question today, and of course we're continuing this series, Christian, what it means to live a truly Christian life. We've been looking at some key passages to really victorious Christian living. And so this passage was one that we definitely would have to come to in this season, in this study. And so I want to ask you the question, it comes really from verse, uh, from verse number 13 where it says, reaching forth, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I want to ask you, what are you reaching for? What are you reaching for? And I think if you were to consider where you're at in life, I mean, just stop for a minute. Where are you at in life right now? How would you describe your stage of life? For some, you may say, well, I'm, I'm at a later stage in my life. I'm in a retirement stage, or I'm, at a, I'm on the, what some would refer to as the final lap stage of my life, and I just want to finish well. I want to, be, I want to stay on the course. I want to finish well for the Lord. Others of you may be just starting out in your Christian life, or just starting out in life. We've got so many young people in here, and you're at that stage where you're just getting ready to run the first lap. You want to get started and you've got, as Lord willing, you see a full life ahead of you and you see things that God has planned. What we learn, though, is along the way, we're reaching for something. We're reaching out, looking to take hold of something. And, and sometimes those are the wrong things. We'll get to that a little bit later. But wherever you're at in your life, so not just your stage, maybe in age or maturity, think about your stage of of really maybe your state of mind, where you're at internally, despite what, what 
you look like on the outside or despite what your bank account looks like or despite any of the external factors, look at where you've arrived spiritually. Consider where you're at this morning. And then when you think of that, how did you get there? We could all go back and look at a series of events, but ultimately, I think all of us would have to answer the same way. How I got here was the Lord brought me here. The Bible says that a man's heart, the book of Proverbs says that a man's heart devises his way, um, but his steps are directed by the Lord. God brings us through our journey of life to where we're at today. Regardless of what that journey looked like, you are where you are today, and I am where I am today because God brought us here to this place. And really what's happening in this passage is, is Paul is just reevaluating his life. He's making an evaluation of his life. And he's going to do some reflecting. Isn't it good to reflect sometimes? I think in our, in our hustle and bustle and the hurried nature of our world, sometimes it, it would do us well to just stop and reflect. And Paul in this passage is doing some spiritual reflecting on where he came from, where he's been, where he is now, and where he's going. But we often use this verse in the context of, hey, greater days are ahead. There's greater things that are going to happen. But how many of you understand the circumstance in which the Apostle Paul was writing this passage? Does anyone know where Paul was? Yeah. It would be a good guess. Was he in prison? Happened often. He just, he's in prison. You can research a little bit later, but you can still go today to, in the city of Rome, to the Mamertine prison. You can visit it today. And of course, the, through the years of Christendom, they've taken a, you know, they've almost made it a bit of a shrine and they put a little altar in there and all of that. You could go see it today. But, there was nothing holy or sacred about that place when Paul was most likely in prison there. Now, we don't know for sure that that was the prison that he was in, but very likely that he spent time in Rome in the Mamertine prison. If you were to walk in that prison, you'd be at the first, first level. And it's a, stone, it's a stone room, as you could imagine, just not very well lit, just a, a dingy stone space. And that was the upper prison. But over here, there's a hole cut in the floor. And down below was the lower chamber for keeping prisoners. And they would literally take a prisoner and drop them in the hole. Lower them in the hole. And so now, not only are you in a dark stone prison, but you're in the pit in the dark stone prison prison. And Paul is an advanced man in years at this point. He's approaching senior citizen status. He's traveled the world. He's spoken all over to large crowds of people, to small people. He's stood before emperors and kings. He's done a lot in his life. He's, he's come up against a lot. But here he is. Here he is in this dark, damp, dingy, jail pit where God gives him these words. The Holy Spirit gives him these words that he says, you know what? This one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, 
I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That's the circumstance he finds himself in. That's his condition. Where are you at, Paul? And as he do, in this passage, as he does some reflecting, it causes us to consider how we got here. And Paul, not now you can tell you, well, he got here because, you know, he was a preacher and they didn't like the preaching. And so he's arrested and he's locked away. But he goes back a little bit deeper. He goes back a little bit further to tell his testimony. Do you realize each and every one of us has a testimony about where God brought us from? Where we were, who we were before we came to Christ. And in this passage, Paul starts, and just really two things I want to give you this morning, two sections. One is how we got here, and secondly, how to reach forward. How we got here. Well, notice, back up with me in Philippians chapter 3. Back up with me to verse number 4. As he writes these words to the Philippian church, in verse number 4, he begins to tell the story of how he got here. If you never met Paul and you see him as this man in this dark, dingy cell, he begins to tell you a little bit more of his story. Have you ever met someone and when they started to tell you their story, you were just blown away? You know what I mean? Like you met someone and they start to go back and, and tell you what they're, where they came from and, what they're, and you thought, wow, I could never have imagined that. And I'm sure if Paul told this story to some of his cellmates, they would have been quite surprised. Look at verse number four. Paul says this, and what we're going to see, first of all, is the, the testimony of a proud man. The testimony of a proud man. Verse number four. Though I might also have, what's the word? Help me out now. What's the word? It is confidence. He says, I might also have confidence in the flesh. What's the flesh? What's he talking about when he says the flesh? He's talking about his body. His physical status, his, not just his body and his physical status, but really he's speaking about his personal identity, who he is as a man, what his history is, what his life was like. That's what he's saying. He says, if you wanted somebody that had confidence in the flesh, that would be me. He's about to tell us that he was a proud, proud man. He goes on in verse number Verse number four, I might also have confidence in the flesh. If any other man thinketh that he hath whereof, he might trust in the flesh. In other words, if there's anybody that has a reason to boast, if there's anybody that has a reason to brag, let them brag, but I would have reason what? More. I would have reason more. And he said, well, what do you mean? Who are you? He says, well, let me tell you my story. Verse 5, first thing you need to know, know about me is I am a, I was a proud Hebrew. I was circumcised the eighth day in perfect following of the Mosaic law. He was raised with a religious upbringing. He had a moral family who dedicated him to the Lord, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel. Chosen people of God. He says, I was born into this family, into, this, into this, this ethnicity. I am an Israelite, and specifically, I was of the tribe of Benjamin. But I wasn't just, I wasn't just a Hebrew by birth. I wasn't just a Jew by my family name. I was the real deal. He says, I was a Hebrew 
of the Hebrews. It wasn't just a label, it was my life. I lived it, I breathed it, I was the poster child of a good Jewish boy. As touching the law, a Pharisee. Paul says, not only was I, not only was I a devout believer, but I went into the study of the law. And I wasn't one of those people that studied the law just, you know, well, I learned a little bit about it. If I was going to be committed to the law of God, I was going to be committed the whole way. How many of you know in Paul's day there were two groups of, of scholars in the day? The one was the Sadducees, and the other were the, the Pharisees. Now, the Sadducees were the theological liberals of the day. They denied some of the supernatural things of the Scripture. They just focused on really the fact of uh, national identity and obeying the law for those kinds of reasons. But the Pharisees, I mean, they were diehard. They were all the way. They believed every single word, and even the words that weren't there, they believed. Literally, they added some extra words. Because Paul's like, I love the law of God so much, and I wanted to obey the law of God so much, I was part of that group that made up some extra laws just to make sure we didn't break any of the real laws. I mean, that's who I was. And I was, a, I was confident. He was a proud man. As touching the law of Pharisee. Verse 6, not only that, but concerning zeal, just how far did I take this thing? How zealous was I? So zealous that I did what? Persecuted the church. Now, can you imagine? You meet this guy, he's part of the church. In fact, he's like one of the lead apostles in the church. And he's like, you don't understand who I was. Who I am today is the complete opposite of how I started out. Can I get a witness right there? I mean, who I was, who I am today in Christ is the complete opposite of who I was before. If you only knew my story, and he shares some of his story. He says, this was my life. Touching the righteousness which was in the law. In fact, I was so I was so devout about the law. He says, touching the righteousness which was in the law, if you looked at me, you would have described me as what? How could he say that? Does he mean he never told a lie? He never did a single wrong thing? Well, he couldn't obviously say that because he's speaking honestly about how his life was before. What he's saying here is this. He's saying... Every single sacrifice that was required of me, I made. I mean, not a single sin or transgression slid by. If Paul realized, if he said, you know what? Man, I dishonored my parents with that statement. He would go and make the appropriate sacrifice. If he said, man, my, you know, I, I, uh, I wasn't completely honest in my dealings there. with some, He would go and he'd make the sacrifice because he wanted to be able to look at his life, he wanted to look at his heart, and he wanted to say, I am okay. I am righteous. Paul was the epitome of a self-righteous man. That's who he was. Now, what else is interesting here is not only did he have this great confidence and pride in his upbringing, 
But I, this is an important thing for us to realize. Paul, before Christ, Paul was completely secure in his identity. He wasn't looking for Jesus. Paul wasn't going through life, and I think this is something we need to realize. Paul wasn't going through life saying, you know what? There's just something missing in my life. He never had that attitude. In fact, when he looked in his life, at his life, he actually felt the opposite. He was self-assured, self-confident that he was okay, that he was on the right track. No identity crisis there. No moment of desperation. What changed for Paul was one day when he was traveling on the road to Damascus, Jesus stepped into his life and threw his world completely out of focus. And literally, he was blinded by the light of Jesus on that road. And he said, and he said, who are you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. And at that moment, Paul is confronted and his whole identity is challenged because he is confronted with Jesus. There are many people that they come to Jesus in low points in their life. And aren't you thankful for that? You may have come to Jesus in a low point in your life. But the power of Jesus is such that he can break through even to those that are completely secure in their life. Things are going well for their life. And you could be here and you could say, well, I don't really see much need for Jesus in my life. Or you could be watching and say, I don't see much need for Jesus in my life. You know, I live in America. I got a good job. Things are going pretty well. I got, get to do lots of activities. I'm going on vacation. Life is pretty good. And then Jesus comes and he says, no, your life is not okay. You need me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And that message of Jesus just shook, shook him to his core when Jesus appeared to him. And so Paul says, I was a proud man, but now not only the testimony of a proud man, but the transformation that happens to a humbled man. Jesus humbled him. And look with me at the, at the next passage, verse number seven. But, now of course we don't get the whole story, but the story that I just described is all tied up in that word, but... I was okay, I was a Pharisee, things were okay in my life, but, insert the appearance of Jesus to, to Paul on the road to Damascus. And at that moment, he says, what changed is this, there was a transformation in my life, and the things that used to be what I thought were advantages, gain, all the things that were on my resume, all the things that I would point to and say, see, this makes me a good person. See, this makes me a valuable person. See, this is why God accepts me. He says, all of those things, Jesus just deconstructed all of that in my life. And all of the things that I thought were advantages, I realized that word counted there. It means I considered, I considered my life, and I realized that all the advantages were really what? They were lost. They were lost. Everything I thought would profit me was moved into the loss column. Why? For Christ. What things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. And I believe the words, like the words of Jesus, that what shall a man give in exchange for his soul were words that rang true in the Apostle Paul's life at that moment. And he said that all of that thing, he's, all of those things, he said he was willing to turn his back 
on everything about who he was before just so that he could gain Christ. He's humbled by Christ. And look how he describes it. He says, yea, doubtless. He, he says, absolutely. That word, that phrase, yea, doubtless, is a, is, can be translated a lot of different ways. It's, a, it's, it's basically a, a Greek expression to just move us to reinforce what was already explained, just to go a little bit deeper. And he says, in case I was misunderstood, I want you to understand that I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. You know what Paul says here? He says, everything, everything about who I was, all of the things I would brag about, I just took them all, I brought them out behind the house, I went behind the barn, and I dumped them on the manure pile. I put them with the, with the table scraps. I, I, let, I put them on the compost pile. That's what that word literally means. That word translated here, dung, it can refer to a manure pile. It can refer to food scraps. It's just the, the, the refuse. He says, everything, all of my human effort, this moment right here, this explanation right here is why so many today are unwilling to come to Christ. This is exactly why. This is the struggle. And this is why God in His grace often brings us to a low point before we come to faith in Christ. Because the Lord has to devalue all of those things that we hold so valuable. The Lord devalues all of those things until we realize that they are nothing compared to knowing Christ. I count all things but loss for the excellency. He says, he says I'm, I was humbled by Christ. I now know Christ. I have the knowledge of Christ. And he says, I am found in him. And being found in him. Look at verse number 9. Verse number 9, and be found in him. Not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ. The righteousness which is of God. That means it can only come from God by what? By faith. This is Paul's conversion described right here. He said, I took my big pile of good works, my big, my, my big list of good deeds, I took them all and I threw them away because I realized that all of my perceived goodness was what was standing in the way of receiving the true righteousness of Christ. He says, I, I, I couldn't receive God's righteousness because I was so full of my righteousness. He says, being and be found in Him. Be found in Him. In verse number 10 now, we've seen the testimony of a proud man, the transformation of a humble man, and look at the treasure of a saved man. Now, what happened in verse number 9 is salvation. 
What happened in verse number 9 is Paul saying, I am a sinner. My righteousness doesn't mean anything. It's only the righteousness of God. My faith is in you, Jesus Christ. Now Paul goes from death to life, from darkness to light. He's born again. And he says now in verse number 10, the real purpose of his life, the treasure of his life is in this opening statement in verse 10 where he says, say it with me, that I may know him that I may know Him. What are you reaching for? Remember, that's how we began. Paul says here, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable to His death. That I may know Him That's not just a knowledge of what he's saying here isn't just that he wants to know about Jesus or he wants to learn all of the facts and information. And I'd encourage all of you you young people and, and teenagers in here especially that you've grown up in church, there's a lot of things you can know about Jesus. There's a lot of things you can know about God. But what Paul is saying here is not to just know about Jesus, but to know Him personally, to have experienced the reality of Jesus in his life. That's what Aaron was talking about when he gave testimony this morning, about that moment in his life where he's at a crisis and and the pressure is on, and he says, you know what, at that moment, I knew Jesus. Not just knew about him, but knew him personally. And Paul says that, that's a purpose word, the treasure, the hope of his life, that I may know him the power of His resurrection, the fellowship of His sufferings. He says, even in these sufferings, even in this jail cell, even where I am right now, He says, I am experiencing fellowship with Christ in the hard times, in the difficulty. The power of His resurrection, the fellowship of His sufferings. And now we see where his hope is, where his trust is. At the end of verse 9, into verse number 10. The end of verse, um, I'm sorry, the end of verse 10 into verse 11. It says, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Do you see those two contrasting things there? Paul would write about this a lot. In fact, a couple weeks ago we spoke on it when we, Use the passage, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Here Paul says, there's, I want to know him, and, and through this I have been made conformable to his death. And we read about that already, that as Christ, is, as Christ died, Paul says, my identity, who I used to be, that old person, he died as well, with the hope that I will also be raised at the last day. And it's, I love this statement in verse 11, if by, what's it say, if by any means. If by any means I might attain to the resurrection of the dead. Is he saying he's unsure? Like, well, I'm just kind of hoping. I'm just kind of like hoping that this whole thing works out. I mean, here I sit in prison. I gave up all of my life just so if by any means I might make it in the end. Is that the point here? I think you'd agree absolutely not. What he's saying is he's using this to say, I don't know how it's even possible. 
by some miracle, by some supernatural means, I have the hope of the resurrection. I have the hope that this jail cell is not my final destination. I have the hope that everything about my old life that I was willing to trade away. Can you imagine what people that knew Paul thought when he, when he took all of that and let it and walked away from it? Can you imagine what people would have thought when they said, Paul, but you've invested so much in your education. Paul, but you have so much to live for. I think we think of these people often in, in, in like super spiritual terms. We don't realize the human element of somebody, the human factor of somebody like Paul. But Paul had friends and relatives. Paul had family members. Paul had a, 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 social, a, 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 a social sphere that he lived in. And they all watched him walk away. And in that day, he was saying goodbye. He was saying goodbye to money. Pharisees lived very well. He said goodbye to relationships, people that would never speak to him again. He walked away from, no doubt, family members who would not approve of what he had done. He walked away from everything all because of the new hope he found in Christ. That I've been, yes, I've been brought low, I've been brought into suffering, because my great hope is the resurrection. My great hope is eternity. And with that foundation laid, he says, that's who I am. That's how I got here. That's what I'm all about. And now he shifts in verse 12 through 14. And in verse 12 through 14, with that foundation laid, he explains to us how he's going to reach forward and how you and I can reach forward in faith. Look at verse number 12. How to reach forward then, Paul? So here you are. Can you imagine somebody coming up to Paul in prison there and saying, hey, Paul, you know, don't worry. Things are going to get better. You know, things are going to work out. How might that have seemed to Paul at the time? I mean, kind of shallow, right? Kind of empty? Things are looking up. Yeah, the hole in the prison cell is about all that's up above me. Things, you know, just, just, just have a positive mindset and everything's going to turn out. Paul knew what the end was of most of the people that ended up in that prison. You see, in the Roman days, you were not confined indefinitely. You were not confined in prison for 10 years, 20 years. They didn't have life. Well, they did actually have life imprisonment because the point of imprisonment was simply to hold you until your trial, and in most cases, followed by your soon and swift execution. It doesn't mean that he couldn't be released. There were times he was released. But most of the time, when you ended up in those prison cells, it was because the next step, the next event on your calendar was your execution day. People look to Paul. He can't just be encouraged with shallow words, but at the same time he says, the same times he says, but you know what? He, I'm reaching forward. I'm reaching forward. The whole point that I'm endeavoring to get across this morning is this. Paul's reaching forward to, to the only thing worth reaching forward to. Paul's reaching out to that which is the only thing that matters. 
And I think for us, listen, I could, I could get up today and say, you know, it's a, a, an annual meeting day, it's a church anniversary day. We could say things like this, that, you know what? The best days of the church lie ahead, so let's press toward the mark, right? We could do that. And I think in, in some ways we should have that kind of faith and belief, and I do, absolutely. But Paul's not talking about reaching forward to better circumstances, Paul's not talking about reaching forward to his life getting better. He's talking about reaching forward to something far more significant, something far more eternal. And if we could get a grasp of that today, God could do a great work in our hearts. So how to reach forward? I want you to notice verse number 12. First of all, you and I need to learn from Paul, reach forward with what I'm going to call this morning a holy discontentment. A holy discontentment. Usually we say, don't be discontented. But I want you to see what I mean here about a holy discontentment. Look at verse number 12. Not as though I had, what's he say? Already attained. He says, I don't want you to get the impression, I don't want you to get the impression that I have already arrived at my destination. Well, Paul, I mean, you've made it pretty far. I mean... By, by this point, you've written a lot of scripture, you've established a lot of churches, you've done a lot, and Paul says, but I want you to understand something, I'm still not all that I desire to be in Christ. I'm still not everything that I hope to be. It's not that I've already attained, it's not that I'm already perfect, but, but what's he say he's doing, but I follow after, we'll get to that in a minute. There's a holy discontentment here in Paul's life that says God is not done with me yet. And I want to encourage every person here, you may view yourself as, you know, I'm kind of in the last stage, and I was involved in the ministry, and I was involved in, uh, you know, I had this spiritual thing happen in my life and this, and, you know, I'm a little bit older now. Listen, the message is this. Paul's at the very end, and he says, God is not done creating what he wants to create in me yet. Because God's work is not all about, you say, but Ethan, I don't have the energy that I used to have. I don't have the abilities that I used to have. I can't do all the things that I used to be able to do. Because God is not primarily working on what you can do, but who he wants you to be. And that work is not finished until the day he calls you and me home. So I want to encourage all of you that are senior saints in here to realize that some of the, the deepest, most abiding spiritual work could yet to be done in your life. If you'll just practice a holy discontentment and say, God, I'm still not fully surrendered to you. God, I'm still not, I, I, I still haven't seen this area of holiness completely established in my life. I still don't have exactly the, the prayer life that I think you want me to have. God, you can still do something in my life. We need that holy discontentment. This is God, just keep working. But that temptation comes also, not just, and I, I took a moment, we're always, I feel like we're always preaching to the young people, right? I want to preach to the senior people for a little while today. Don't, don't draw back now. But that temptation comes at different stages in our lives. You might be from one stage to the next. You say, you know what, I was, 
I don't have time to go through every scenario, but I think you understand what I mean. You could be at the moment in life where you're transitioning in your family life or transitioning in your career or, or something, is, something is different now. Paul's life was just nonstop transition after transition after transition. In those moments, the temptation for us is to say, you know what, I've come far enough right now. I'm just going to pause for a little while. Paul says, no, I've not yet attained. I don't want you to think that I have attained. I'm not perfect yet. So how to reach forward? Church, let's reach forward with a holy discontentment. And then let's reach forward with a faithful perseverance. Look at the next statement in verse number 12. He says, it's not that I'm already perfect. And he says next, but, right in the middle of the verse, but I what? I follow after. I follow after. Now, this is a really cool word. I, I studied this one out. It's the Greek word dioko. The word is translated most often, it's, it's, it's often translated follow. But the most common translation of this word is to persecute. Is that kind of interesting? To persecute. What is following? And then you're going to see it later translated in the same passage as press toward. That phrase later on, I press toward the mark. It's the same Greek word. What's the point here? What is the thrust of this? What's the energy? Think about it. It makes sense when you think about it why the word is persecuted. So if somebody is, is persecuting someone, what are they doing? They're following after them but they're following after them with an intensity. They're coming after them saying, I'm going I'm to chase you down and I am going to catch you. I'm following after. It's, it's the idea of not, a, it's, it's, it's not passive, all right, well, you take a step and call me and I'll come. No, it's I'm going to stay close, I'm going to follow, I'm going to be on your trail. It's also often translated press on. In fact, some translations will put this verse that way. They'll say, but I press on but I follow after. I'm moving forward. I'm persevering. And I love this too because it's not just, it, it, to say I press on could have this, this idea that it's coming from me, but it's not. The idea of following after is there's a goal in mind. And the goal is Jesus. I'm coming after Jesus. I'm, I'm chasing after Jesus. I'm running after Jesus. There's nothing going to sidetrack me. There's nothing going to steer me away. There's nothing going to pull me off track. He says, I have got, how am I going to press forward? At an, at an older age in his life, in a prison cell, when things aren't looking good, Paul says, I'm not, I've not yet attained. I'm not who, I'm not all God wants me to be yet. And I'm going to keep chasing after Jesus with a faithful perseverance. And then the next statement. Not only does he say, but I follow after, if that, if that, this is the goal. Why am I following? Why am I, why am I not contented with my relationship with Christ yet? Why am I still following after him? If that, I may, what's the word? Apprehend. That for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. We use the word apprehend. We're usually thinking in what context? What's that? 
arrested? Exactly. The police, right? You have been apprehended to be taken into custody, to get a hold of, to take into possession. What is Paul saying here? He says, if we're going to reach forward, what are you reaching for, friends? What are you reaching for? Paul says this, I am reaching forth because I want to apprehend that, that for which also I am ap- apprehended of Christ Jesus. I, I'm thinking of this as a grasp that won't let go. A grasp that just won't let go. Paul says, I want to get a hold of the one who has a hold of me. I want to get a hold of the one who has a hold of me. Aren't you thankful that Jesus will never let you go? Jesus said, my father gives them to me. No man is able to pluck them out of my hand. That's a promise from Jesus that if you are saved, if you belong to him, he's got you in his grip and he's got a grip that will never let go. And so Paul says, I want to hang on to him as tightly as he hangs on to me. I want to hold on to him as tightly as he holds on to me. That's how you reach forward. We have a holy discontentment. We have faithful perseverance. We grasp a hold and won't let go. And I love verse number 13 now. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. I have, it's still not there yet. But this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind. A holy discontentment, faithful perseverance, a grasp that won't let go, and a thankful forgetfulness. A thankful forgetfulness. What does he say he's going to forget right here? He's going to forget all the things that are where? Behind him. He says, I'm going to forget all the things that are behind me. God said this, Hebrews 10, 17 says this, their sins, this is God speaking through the prophets quoted in Hebrews 10, 17, their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. No more. Can you believe that? The omniscient God who knows everything and if he so desired could call to remembrance every one of our sins, the ones that we are even that we've even unconsciously committed. He could recall all of them, but he says, you are my child, and your sins and your iniquities I will remember no more. And Paul says right here, why would I remember what God has forgotten? Why would I remember what God has forgotten? There's so much in Paul's life that he could have been ashamed of. There's so much in your life, probably, that you can look back and say, I'm just so ashamed. I met with somebody recently who came to Christ, very recently, after they described their life as they said, they said, you know something? I was against Christianity. I would mock it, I would ridicule it, and they said, I can't understand why God let me live that long. Whew. I was like getting a little teared up eating my cheeseburger with this person at lunch. You know, I'm like, man. He says, I, can't, I don't understand why God... And then, they, and then this person said, you know what? And, I, and, and I'm so thankful that I got saved, but 
I never thought that people in a good church would ever accept me. Wow. And we got to talk about this very verse, this very idea that God forgets our sins. That God, that God says, as far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed your transgressions from you. And there is, the, the devil likes nothing more than to bring up your past. Say, oh, you look like a good Christian now. Oh, you're carrying your Bible into church now. But don't you remember a few years ago what your Sunday morning looked like? Don't you remember nursing that hangover? That's who you really are. That's who you really are. And those accusations go to the, to the father. And if you give me this li liberty, the devil says, that's your child? That's your child? Don't you remember? Don't you remember when that was a, a, a drug user and a drunk and a fornicator? And God answers back, I don't remember that. All I remember is the blood of Jesus that flowed down Calvary, that washed away their sin. And they stand pure and holy before me now. I don't know who you're talking about, but I see my child. In fact, I see Jesus. That's, that's what Christianity is. Let's never forget that. Christianity is not about, and if you're, if you're here and you struggle to understand what, what it means, what it, a lot of people have a misconception that Christians are the, well, they think they're the good people, you know, they're the righteous people, everybody else are the sinners. No, Christianity is all about this. I have a complete new identity in Christ. Who I was, Paul said, conformable to his death, there's nothing good in me. If God chose, he could mention all of those sins, but he chooses, he chose to set his love upon me because of Jesus. I listened to a song this morning. If you take notes and you want to look this one up later, it's called, I Can Go In. It's a real simple song. And the writer of the song says, and I'll paraphrase the whole thing, it's way better than I could do it. The song says this, There I stood at the gate of heaven, and I waited to go in. Before I could go in, I heard a sound. And a, and a whole mighty group of people came into heaven, and I said, Who are these people? And the angel said, these are the company of martyrs, the mighty saints who overcame. And I hung my head and I said, I can't go in with them. I can't go in with them. And I heard another sound. And another group comes in. Who are these? Who are they? That's the company of prophets. They boldly spoke the name of God. They preached. They were faithful. And I said, I can't go in with them. Then another crowd came in. And there's songs of joy and celebration. And I said, but who are they? Well, there's Mary Magdalene and Paul. And the great company of sinners washed in the blood. And they were led by the greatest of them all, the thief who died on the cross. And I said, I can go in with them. I can go in with them. And that's what Paul said. 
That's what he says in this passage. He's not worthy. And there's times in his life where he's got to forget who he was and realize that it's not because of what he's done. It's not because of what even he's become. It's because of what Christ has done. And when his past comes back up and when he's reminded of who he was, he says, I've got to choose to forget what God has forgotten. To forget what God has also forgotten. And then he moves forward with a thankful forgetfulness and a single focus. And he says, with that in mind, with all of that in mind, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I press on. I follow after. I'm moving forward. I'm reaching forward with a single focus toward the prize of the high calling. That idea of the high calling is just what it sounds like. It's a heavenly calling. It's a high place. And he says, I am moving. Sorry. I'm moving forward. I'm pressing forward. Where am I headed? I'm not headed to a, I'm not headed to a, a ticket out of my jail cell. I'm not headed to or at a better bank account or a better job or uh, my church taking the next big step or my career advancing forward. I'm not moving toward anything like that because my calling is greater. It's a heavenly calling. It's a heavenly calling with an eternal purpose. That's what I live for. So if I, if I die in this jail cell or if I die on the executioner's block in Rome, none of that matters because my calling is a heavenly calling. That's where I'm pressing forward to. That's where I'm reaching forth to. And there's a mark. There's a goal. There's a finish line. And it's the words of the Lord Jesus Christ that says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Well done. Well done. But listen, super important application right here. I press toward not a mark, but I press toward... The mark. There's one mark. There's one goal. What are you reaching for? You can't reach for success in this life and reach the goal, the prize, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You can't reach for popularity. You can't reach for money. You can't reach for fame. And I think the great tragedy of many believers' lives is this. Yes, they get to heaven, they make it, and praise God for His grace. But the, the greatest tragedy of the Christian life is this. Sometimes we get what we've reached for. But when we open our hands, it's nothing. It's exactly what we wanted. But in heaven, it vaporizes. Jesus spoke about that. He said, oh, look at the Pharisees. They love people to hear them pray, and they love people to to think they're so great. Jesus said, they have their reward. Christian, don't get to the end of your life and have reached for a great retirement fund, and you got it. But you didn't reach for the goal. Don't reach for the exact job or house that you wanted. But you missed the real goal, the mark, the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. May we be a church for the next 40 years. It's not reaching towards success or prosperity 
or acclaim or whatever, but we reach and we help others reach out for Jesus. What are you reaching for? Would you bow your heads, close your eyes with me? Are you a believer in Jesus this morning that would say, Ethan, I've been reaching for the wrong thing? Listen, it's not just you. It's me. All the time, lots of distractions in my life. There's lots of things that I do, and it's like all of a sudden I catch myself, and I'm like, what in the world am I reaching after here? What is my goal in all of this? And I need a moment like this this morning in the Word of God to just be, to just be cleansed by the Word. I need a moment this morning with the Word of God just to be renewed and to repent and to reset and to say, Jesus, forget all the rest. I just need to follow you. Would you do that this morning? Would you recommit that level of dedication? That, would you recommit your life to say, Jesus, I'm only reaching for you? And if you've never received Christ as your Savior, if there's, never been a, if there's never been a time in your life where you've trusted Christ, He is reaching out to you. Jesus, He paid the penalty. You don't have to be a good person. In fact, He said that He came for sinners, not righteous people. So if you say this morning, I am unworthy, I am sinful, why would God ever love me? Listen, you are in the exact right spiritual condition because Jesus came for you. Would you receive him by faith? Right now in this moment, just pray to him. Say, dear Jesus, I do believe that you died for me. I believe you rose again for me, and I ask you to save me. I put my faith, I put my trust in you alone. Would you do that right now? If you've never trusted Christ, he is the only way to salvation. Would you reach out to Christ right now? Ask him to save you. Put your faith in Him and Him alone. Christian, as the piano plays, would you just spend time with the Lord right now? God, I pray that now you would use this time as we reflect on what we've heard and as we reflect on what you're speaking to us. God, that you would then just draw us closer to yourself. In Jesus' name.